Welcome to Think Civic, where we explore civic responsibility in tech, policy, design, and more. I'm Chizo. And I'm Ajay. Today, we'll be talking to you about how you go from being a Chinese pop sensation to serving as a chief innovation officer of San Jose with our special guest, Clay Gardner. Clearly, Clay is no ordinary chief innovation officer. Last month, he was appointed as the chief innovation officer of San Jose. Hailing from Connecticut, Clay graduated from Stanford University, where he majored in East Asian Studies in 2016. From studying abroad in China to working at Google to transitioning into public service shortly after the pandemic, Clay clearly brings a unique perspective to this work of ensuring public institutions truly serve the public. Our conversation with Clay covered how he made the move from being a pop sensation to a Googler to a public servant his work at the Office of Innovation, and how he hopes to inspire and nurture a new generation of public servants working on government innovation in the city of San Jose. Ironically, this is also the first episode I am recording with you and Think Civic. So being on the mic is definitely different from being a listener, but Clay was such a great guest. I definitely didn't think that doing tech policy in government was a thing, let alone using blockchain tech to actually help further citywide programs. Uh, So much of what I feel like we were taught in school, I think, is just this really one bland version of like what government is. And that image didn't really have space for things like design or innovation or technology. So I think for me in the last two years of engaging and learning about public interest tech and tech policy, and especially in the wake of the pandemic, I think it's just really incredible to see how cities have become such an important pillar for defining what public institutions really can look like. Yeah, and especially we interact with our government a lot at our local level and at a city level and county level as well. I think a lot of people, when they think of like civic technology, they think of it at a federal level, especially with programs like Coding It Forward previously only being in federal agencies before expanding to local and city governments during the pandemic. We've even had some guests talk about innovation at a local level as well. Mitchell Weiss comes to mind, former chief of staff to the mayor of Boston and current Harvard Business School professor with his recent book that came out last year, We the Possibility. So there are a lot of levels and layers that we can unwrap talking about civic technology at a local level. And having Clay Garner on the episode is just a really exciting way to do that. Now, before we get into the episode, you might be thinking, wasn't the last time you heard from us in January? Well, yeah, you're right. In light of some schedule shifting, this will be the only episode we're releasing for this month. Going forward, we're trying to plan on releasing every two weeks or so, we have some really exciting episodes and can't wait to share them with you all. So for those subscribed to us on Sudsack, watch out for us on there as well and keep listening to us on Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. Also want to make sure that you're following us on our new Twitter handle, at ThinkCivicPod, to join in on the conversation after this episode. Like we mentioned in our season premiere, we launched a new Substack newsletter just to make sure that you never miss an episode. Every podcast episode will be delivered with links for all streaming platforms, key takeaways with links, and references that were mentioned like in the actual interview. It'll also include a full transcript um, for folks that you know prefer to read up on the conversation instead of listening. So be sure to hit subscribe at thinkcivic.substack.com. Now, without further ado, 
Here's our conversation with Clay. Congratulations again, Clay, on being named the Chief Innovation Officer. I can imagine that like you're in a really exciting and impactful position to lead San Jose's efforts to reimagine how it serves residents using tech and design. But could you start by telling us how you became a pop sensation in China and Taiwan? Of course. The short version is, I used to be much cooler than I am now. You know, when I was in high school, I started making Chinese language music videos. And they ended up going really viral in Asia. You know, with that, I had the opportunity to be on a lot of TV programs in both China and Taiwan. And it really changed my life and my perspective on the world. Kind of growing up at the nexus of media and internet culture between the U.S. and Asia. And it still informs how I see things today, you know, in my role as chief innovation officer in San Jose. And I like to blend that cross-cultural artistic thinking with public service. And I think there's so much we can learn from other places, you know, other ways of thinking and doing beyond just the United States. Both of our stories actually have a couple of interesting parallels. The first one, obviously, is that when you created Chinese music videos in high school, that was also something that I did when I was in high school. During high school, I took four years of Mandarin, and for our senior project, we actually got the opportunity to make a music video. Our group did a parody of Thrift Shop by Macklemore, and ironically, it's also my most viral YouTube video, although it only has 1.7 thousand views. It didn't get me into being a Chinese pop star, but there's still a little bit of a parallel here. The other thing that we have in common is that we both also worked at a fan company. Could you share about how you made your transition from big tech to local government? As someone who worked at Facebook, even though it was just an internship, my work was very siloed as an engineer. I didn't feel like I was working on impactful projects. I didn't feel like that my team was supporting me. And it's something that I've gone in depth a lot on the podcast in general. And maybe one day I'll go more in depth into that story. But I don't feel that in government tech today or in civic tech. That experience combined with doing Coding It Forward helped me realize that I wanted the work that I did as a software engineer to directly serve the public. Clay, I would love it if you can walk us through your decision to leave Google and pursue a career in public service. I'll have to check out your music video because now I'm just really curious. Um, But if if you had asked me in college if I'd be interested in joining a local government, I probably would have just laughed. You know, I've watched Parks and Rec and the idea of sitting through these boring kind of endless community meetings just never really seemed appealing. But when I was in grad school in China as a Schwarzman scholar, I had a really brief but unique opportunity to shadow local government leaders there. And they were working on really hard problems like poverty alleviation with basically no resources. You know, they're out there engaging directly with the families, trying to help them with, you know, business plans for an orchard, for example, to get them services. And it was just all just really contingent upon their individual efforts. And it lit something in the back of my mind, like this could be a line of work that is fulfilling in a value sense, but also intellectually stimulating. And so having all of this in my mind, I started working at Google as an APMM or an associate product marketing manager. And, you know, it's a really nice place to work. They have all the benefits and resources you could possibly imagine. And you've got brilliant people working on everything. But there was just something kind of probably like you feel, you know, just not there. And I felt like I'm not contributing anything to this place. And maybe it's a bit of hubris to think that, you know, I would be able to contribute to like the most successful company ever. But I still couldn't help thinking if I didn't show up, they're going to be just fine. And that's not the type of career that I personally wanted to have. And so one day, you know, after work, I'm riding the Caltrain, which is our local commuter rail in the Bay Area. 
And I start reading one of those free pamphlets that they have near the door on the train. And it's talking about the capital improvements for this railroad, the joint powers agency between you know, all the counties that manage this train and how what they're planning for electrification is gonna help them meet climate goals. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. You know, I need to go work on this. You know, I need to work in a government. And so I quit Google. And my manager told me it was a really bad decision, but I found this incredible team in the San Jose mayor's office. And I joined as a tech policy analyst back in 2019. And luckily, Mayor Licardo thought my background in CPOP would be more of an asset than some kind of political liability. And you know, I'll never forget, but on the first day of my job during orientation, the city manager spoke to all the new hires. And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, you know, when we do our job well, most people, they won't even notice and there will be no recognition. And if we don't do our jobs well, people get hurt. And I think that just really sums up public service and why I made the switch. I actually had a very similar viewpoint being a small fish in a big pond when I was at Facebook. Except in my mind, I phrased it a lot more morbidly. And I think part of that was just because of the bad experience I had with my manager at Facebook. But I phrased it in my mind like, if I died here today, would anyone notice? And that's a lot more morbid than being like, hey, well, if I'm not at Google, then this company is still going to succeed without me. But expanding on your second point a little bit, I thought your way of finding about your job was very interesting. Basically, being on the Caltrain, finding out about this opportunity in civic tech that just existed. And I'm a lover of transportation myself. I've actually met multiple of my friends on airplanes, and we've blossomed to really good friendships bonding over transportation and flights that way. And Honestly, I think it was a really cool connect to look at transportation and then segue that into something that you're passionate about, in this case, government. But how did you find out about the Office of Innovation itself? So as I'm sure many people who are looking for jobs in local government know, it's really difficult to find them because they're not always on LinkedIn, for example. And if you don't have you know, a network of people in those types of jobs, it just is really daunting. But I was browsing the city of San Jose's job website and it's almost like so fortuitous, but I just came across this role and it, it happened to have all of the qualifications and skills that I thought maybe I might have. You know, I submitted my cover letter and, you know, a lot of government jobs require these really time consuming applications. But I, th- I said, you know what, this looks really interesting and I'm going to do it. And luckily I got an interview and there were like four or five different interviews, you know, and it was drawn out over multiple weeks and finally had an interview with Mayor Licardo. And of course, he asked the same question about CPOP. And <laughs> then I had this opportunity. I think the picture that you drew about uh, local government being synonymous with your parks and recs visualization like makes a lot of sense, um, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. With that, could you kind of also illustrate like what it was like entering local government like right before the pandemic, and then you know working through the pandemic uh, clearly like you are right now. Even in my county, like so many municipalities like, across the country, like really were making this drastic shift to digital service delivery and digital outreach. I mean, when you think about like public hearings on Zoom to even alerting the public about COVID restrictions or distributing laptops for high school students to actually like ease the digital divide that maybe wasn't as transparent before. I'd really love to kind of understand like how COVID even shifted the purpose or the focus of your work. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, it's funny because everyone signs a disaster worker pledge when you assume a local or state government job. But you never think like the big one's going to happen when you're in office. San Jose is already one of the most thinly staffed big city halls in America. So the pandemic really became all hands on deck for us. And I just remember waking up every day back in like March 2020 and having so much adrenaline to just grind. I worked from like 
6 a.m. to 11 p.m., mostly because I was so anxious and nervous and just trying to channel this like nervous energy into something productive. You know, as a young person, there's just so much opportunity to take on leadership and responsibility because we're building and scaling things which we never even did before as a city, you know, like food distribution. We distributed like a few hundred million free meals. And, you know, I personally launched a brand new digital platform called Silicon Valley Strong in less than 48 hours, which is like light speed for government. And that piece was really addicting. And, you know, I'd go out with some of the teams to support the food distribution lines and you'd see the families in their cars just waiting for food. And this is like a basic core need that people are just trying to get met. You know, with that, I got to see like the full flex of the public sector in crisis. I think that was pretty priceless. Yeah, I think that's really telling to even how, you know, folks in lo- local government, you know, really were another form of what we really, because cons- society really became aware of as frontline workers, too, and actually trying to, like, immediately and directly serve folks. So thank you for sharing that. With that, let's take a step back and kind of help our listeners understand really what the Office of Innovation is. At least from my understanding, innovation offices are usually situated in the mayor's office, which may come with different powers and influences that maybe a typical department, say, a Department of Public Works or Transportation may not have, but that you do work collaboratively like across um, different departments and agencies. So could you really define for us like what is the Office of Innovation and what are the benefits of being housed in the mayor's office? My team's goal is to leverage you know, the ingenuity of Silicon Valley, where we have the, the sort of privilege of being located as a city to improve San Jose's livelihoods, you know, our access to opportunities and city experience overall. And so we advise the mayor on where we think things are going from a tech and innovation standpoint, and how those developments might be useful to solving some of our challenges. And we also help departments address their core issues by building products, leveraging outside STEM talent, you know, and just talking through creative approaches to problems. I think being housed in the mayor's office is really great because we get a bird's eye view of everything going on in the city and all the issues facing our residents. What that does is it helps us to work across policy areas to address challenges which are pretty interdisciplinary in nature, like the digital divide or pedestrian safety. You know, you have aspects of public safety, transit, transportation, you know, baked up into something like that. And so I think that's really a unique opportunity for being in the mayor's office. Really, since starting as deputy uh, chief innovation officer, could you also share some product or specific products or projects that you're really proud of? Definitely ones that were were really required uh, working across uh, different agencies. So we launched probably the first city engagement with a public blockchain-based IoT network, you know, it's been really interesting because we're using all the crypto that's generated in this pilot to pay for low-income households' internet plans. We're trying to understand, you know, how this type of IoT network can be useful for some of the city problems that we're facing, like air quality monitoring, wildfire monitoring. So I think that's been really boundary pushing. You know, it's I think it's uncomfortable for cities to start engaging with blockchain or Web3 technologies. So if anything, it's just been a really interesting experience navigating that. And I also say that Passing the first citywide digital privacy, privacy policy was really rewarding. We're starting to see that operationalized now and how our city evaluates and deploys new technologies. And we recently hired our first digital privacy officer to do that work. There's just a lot to build in, in the privacy space. And I think with the technologies we're seeing, there's just more and more of this work that has to be done. I remember reading your interview with uh, Cities Today, and you mentioned that your top priorities for this term we're on the realm of digital inclusion, accessibility, and public safety. Could you 
touch on like why those are specifically your top priorities and maybe any projects or future opportunities um, that you've worked with or exploring. Absolutely. You know, for digital inclusion, that's just the end state that I'm working towards for San Jose. We can't afford to have people living in the middle of Silicon Valley who are disconnected from the internet because that's it's just absurd. That's the baseline. But, you know, I'm also thinking how do we layer things like digital literacy, skills, economic opportunities, access to digital health on top of all of that. Just this year, we're looking to connect more than 300,000 people to free community Wi-Fi. So a lot happening in digital inclusion. I think that's kind of just the baseline need. And building on that, you know, is really accessibility, which means to build for all people, like 100%. And to do that, we need to figure out how to get different stakeholders to the table from the outset of projects and service design. So people from the disability community, people who don't speak English, and that will help us ensure that our services are useful across a spectrum of lived realities in a city that's as diverse as San Jose is. Public safety is also really important. You know, how do we reverse, for example, the horrible trend in collisions between pedestrians and vehicles? You know, how do we leverage new types of tools like LIDAR, or how do we gamify safer driving to drive those numbers down? And then thinking about you know, emergency response, like there's so many rule, uh, opportunities for 911 tools to be leveraged by first responders so that they actually know what they're up against before they even arrive at the scene of an emergency. You know, I think there's just a lot of opportunity to improve our response. But at the same time, you know, there's just a lot of new tech and public safety that has privacy risks. And so how do we ensure that those risks are mitigated and we have transparency about the type of tools that we're leveraging? Because definitely in trying to think about, yes, how can we bring new tech in to be able to advance certain policy priorities, but at the same time, again, how can we balance those against, yeah, ethics and and privacy for for folks that might be end users? I think you made really a lot of really great points. Could you actually touch on like really how important budget prioritization is for innovation offices in continuing um, and maintaining some of the work that you mentioned long-term? How does like a city of San Jose really or your office specifically, uh, think about, you know, moving this forward beyond uh, maybe the mayor's term or or throughout? It's a great question. And honestly, sustainability is one of the most important things for our initiatives and thinking about how do we actually ensure that uh, beyond the mayor's term. We're lucky that, again, we work with the mayor. So we try to inform how the city prioritizes different technology investments through budget messages through the city council. We work with outside philanthropy groups like the Knight Foundation and Bloomberg to help support some of the initiatives where we just don't have funding in the city, but we need to explore some opportunity or just take advantage of something that's really fast and just turn it around. I think we're really creative when it comes to funding. And even, you know, like the project with Helium and our crypto, you know, how do we find new sources of revenue as a city so that we're not just relying on like our budget per se, but thinking about things in a, in a business model way. I think that's another opportunity for us. A couple months ago, I read this really fascinating book recommended to me by a coworker about libraries, ironically called The Library Book. Its author, Susan Orlean, concatenates a specific topic about the burning of the main branch of the Los Angeles Public Library in the 1980s with a more general in-depth analysis on how libraries have evolved to better serve the needs of 21st century communities, which I think is a really interesting topic because it kind of combines how governments have adapted along with libraries to better serve the needs of modern-day citizens. And this ranges from 3D printing maker spaces like the one in my hometown library of Elmhurst, Illinois, holding community events for middle school and high school students, 
loaning out musical scores to local orchestras who cannot afford to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars per show, and running social services events at the Los Angeles Public Library's main branch. Clay, I know this is something you touch on a little bit in your interview with GovTech.com, and that's why I really want to unravel this a little further, but how does the Chief Innovation Officer role enable libraries and the city's education system to innovate as the needs of the community continue to evolve? I just love this question because I absolutely love libraries. You know, I'm a bit biased, but I'll say that our San Jose Public Library system is the best in America. They consistently have the highest resident trust of any government institution at the local level. And I'm sure that's probably replicated across most of the United States. So it makes sense that people come to libraries for help, including people who are undocumented or fear engaging with governments and feel unsafe going elsewhere. You know, our library actually leads the city's digital equity work. So it provides free hotspots and Wi-Fi, all kinds of courses, digital literacy training. You know, to your point, libraries are really becoming like a default social service delivery space in this country. Everything we do from like a tech perspective, library is definitely top of mind as a delivery mechanism. I definitely agree with that sentiment, Clay. There's just so many really cool things that libraries have to offer. I want to actually take a little bit of a segue from our past questions about the problems that you've been solving as Chief Innovation Officer of San Jose to talk about nurturing the next generation of public servants. This is a topic that we've kind of explored a lot on our podcast. Our backstory when Evan and I first created the podcast was that we specifically wanted our podcast to be a resource that we wish we would have had a couple years earlier when we were undergraduate students studying computer science and wondering where we wanted to go with our careers that wasn't just looking at fang companies. As one of the youngest innovation officers in the country, in the 10th largest city in the United States, how do you hope to inspire and attract young people to pursue a career in public service? What is the city of San Jose currently doing to attract early and mid-career technologists? So I will say that we've got no fancy water or snacks at the city. You know, I drink out of a tap in the bathroom on the 17th floor of City Hall, which is probably TMI, but it's just to illustrate that you know, our benefits don't compare with tech companies, certainly not Fang. Uh, that being said, if you want to wake up and work on some of the most interesting, perplexing, meaningful projects out there, you know, we've got them in bulk. And we've got opportunities like the ones I've had personally to get incredible levels of responsibility early in your career, you know, learning how to manage people, teams, designing projects and services from soup to nuts, and really participating in everything from you know, the high level strategy to the actual delivery of public goods, you know, literally being out on the street talking to people. You know, when I wake up, I feel super happy and in my heart that I get to do this. You know, it's stressful at times to read about your work in the news. And I would say that, you know, it's a special experience that you just can't find anywhere else. We've got roles across departments for early and young people, sort of uh, middle career people, I guess you would call them to join our civil service, mayor's office, other type of positions. There's an amazing position out right now, just for a little plug, for someone to be our equity through data lead for the city. So that's someone who can help design and execute a plan to drive our decision-making in a way that's more data-driven around equity. And so that I think would be an amazing opportunity for someone that's mid-career or earlier career who's got a passion for data. And we also work with fabulous organizations like Coding Forward, as you know, our local high schools, universities like SJSU to get STEM students exposed to public sector problems. Speaking as a person who has a very significant data background prior to my current job, which is a software engineer, it's really, really cool to see cities investing more and more into using data to drive equitable decisions. I think it's truly admirable and it's a really, really exciting position. 
let's talk about coding at Forward. Chizo and I are both coding at Forward alums, and we both noticed that San Jose was one of the first host cities for coding at Forward's Civic Innovation Core. Talk to us a little bit about how you really try to provide an impactful but really informative summer for folks serving in government for the first time. So coding at Forward was just uh, an amazing program to work with. Um, you know, and I'm not getting paid to say that. It's honestly true. The fellows that we brought on, they actually helped us decide what we should even work on. And I think that's pretty unique for an internship to allow for that kind of input. And between the police transparency portal that one team worked on and the data equity work stream, you know, the fellows were really able to interact directly with a range of city employees from cops to parks and recreation supervisors to the mayor. You know, I think through that, they're able to use their skills to build things that we couldn't have built without them. And I think that's like the hallmark of a great internship. So overall, as a host, I would say like 10 out of 10 experience. Civic Innovation Corps at the city of San Jose government seems like an awesome internship experience that is impactful, not just for the city government itself, but also for the people working on these problems as well. Speaking from a FANG perspective or from one of my other tech internships like at JP Morgan, a lot of the projects that interns get to work on aren't really impactful. And I kind of know from experience that the code kind of just gets like disheveled at the end of the summer. It's not really impactful to the company's bottom line. And oftentimes it's just grunt work that the manager doesn't want to work on. So they kind of just give it to the intern. And that's not really something that I felt working in government. So being able to see that interns and undergraduate students can come and make an impact in government at a local level is just a really exciting thing to hear. Clay, you expanded on this a little bit a couple questions ago when you were talking about your team growing as well as the new roles that the city of San Jose is opening up in your department. But for a role like this, and I guess for other potential roles that would be opening up down the line, what type of skills and qualities do you look for in an ideal candidate? How are you making transitioning into local government accessible to members of the San Jose community and those of lived experiences affected by government systems? You know, first, to use a a classic, you've got to thrive in ambiguity, which in a lot of corporate environments, I think that's really overused and and kind of cliche. But in this role, I literally don't have all the answers. You know, it's a tiny team with a tiny budget. And I need everyone on my staff to be a really independent full scope operator. Come in and expect to do things that you and I as well both don't know how to do. You know, humility is also really important. People who can bring an empathetic approach to a range of experiences, environments and behaviors, because at the end of the day, we serve 1 million people. And in one of the most diverse cities in America. Um, If you got foreign language skills or you grew up in circumstances that give you a particular insight in government, you know, where it's failed, where it's been helpful, that's also a huge plus for us. And, you know, more than 57% of the residents in San Jose speak a language other than English at home. So that's really important fact for us to always have in the back of our minds. And I think finally, you've got to be really curious about technology I don't care if you code that well, you know, I don't really code that well, I try, or even if you have an engineering background, but I think at a minimum, you need to be curious about how what's technologically possible might be leveraged for public impact in San Jose. With that, I'd like to also get your take on any advice that you have for, you know, people who are wanting to work in local government. I would say be patient. You know, it can feel like a rat race out there. Social media certainly doesn't help, at least not for me. Uh, When I was looking for a job in Gov, I got rejected left and right and straight up ghosted, you know, when I thought interviews were going well. And it took, as I kind of said earlier, many weeks of interviews to get this gig in the mayor's office. So I'd say, you know, just be patient. Secondly, you can follow city or county meetings. They're all on YouTube for the most part, and they're broadcasted like multiple times a week. So you can learn 
who works on what? You know, what are the challenges that are interesting for your city or your town or your county? And most of the time, staff's email is even on the slide, so you can reach out to them. And I find most people in public sector are pretty open to coffee chats and that kind of thing. You know, there are lots of local governments, thousands of them. We all live under the purview of local governments. Some you may not have even heard of, like transit agencies or counties. You know, one descriptor that I love is LA County is basically a country. It's got 10 million people living in it, and it's not even really the city. So just think about that. And then finally, I'd say you got fellowship programs like Coding It Forward, which are a great way to get your toes wet. But going all in full time is a really, really different experience. People will treat you differently, kind of like one of their own. And I think you get to learn what it's like to be in the thick of it for something like a pandemic. Yeah, with that, um, really would like to hand you off our signature and final question that we ask all our guests who come on the pod. Um, What does thinking civic mean to you? Thinking civic, you know, it's being awoken to this periphery of streetlights, you know, signs, community centers, fire stations, what have you. You know, it's being awoken to this like full environment around us, which determines all of our collective fates and thinking, how do we make it better? Thank you so much, Clay, for taking the time to speak with us this afternoon. Um, I'm sure I know we both learned a lot. Yes, I did. Thank you so much. And uh, best of luck with everyone's search and go local gov. Thank you again for taking the time to tune into this episode. We really hope that you found this conversation with Clay as interesting as we did. Do share this with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors that are interested in cities and innovation, or anyone who might be interested in exploring our past episodes and what we've already done since really our episodes are for you. And again, make sure you're following us on our new Twitter handle at ThinkCivicPod to join in on the conversation after this episode. Be sure to hit subscribe at thinkcivic.substack.com. Thank you, and remember to think civic.